the reading this evening is taken from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 uh, to the end, to 29. Uh, it can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1183. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free uh, from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Amen. Thanks very much, Aaron. Evening, everybody. What is our purpose in life? Why are we here? That's the big question that uh, human beings have wrestled with since the beginning of time, and I'm sure um, each one of us will have asked that question at some point in our lives. Most people um, in the world find meaning in some sort of religion, some sort of connection to a higher being. More recently, in much of the Western world, despite its Christian roots, has moved away from finding meaning in God, meaning in eternity, to focusing on the here and now and finding fulfillment in their present life. That fulfillment might come through achieving something, through doing a fulfilling job, through finding a fulfilling relationship, through helping others. The sad thing is that many people who seek fulfillment in these areas remain unfulfilled because none of these things is 
reliable. None of them is designed to provide lasting fulfillment. And the result is a very troubled and broken world full of pain, anxiety, and depression. As people find out that the thing they put their trust in has failed to give them the fulfillment they had hoped for. In an article I read this week, apparently the average age of peak misery is 47. So it's good to be beyond that and on the the up now. It's the so-called midlife crisis when people begin to realize that they will probably never fulfill their hopes and dreams. How is Christianity different? What is the sense of purpose that Christianity offers? Well, last week in the opening part of this chapter, which um, Alan Gibson preached on, he looked at the issue of truth and how our post-postmodern world has distorted truth to mean whatever you want it to mean. Absolute truth has given way to relative truth. And he ended by showing that real truth can only be found in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our purpose, then, if we are Christians, is to point people to him. And our passage this evening shows why that is, because Jesus Christ is supreme in everything. This is one of the the richest passages in the Bible. Well worth trying to commit to memory, if you've got a memory that's able to do that. I must admit, I always struggle to do these things. Um, But as we see the supremacy of Jesus, then we come to realize that our purpose is to demonstrate that supremacy and to demonstrate it in the way that we live our lives. The reason that Jesus is supreme is that he's fully God. He, it says here, the Son is the image of the invisible God. To say the Son is the image of the invisible God sounds a bit like a contradiction, doesn't it? How can you have an image of something that is invisible? God is invisible, but he is a person. He is the characteristics of perfect holiness and justice and love. And in order for us as humans to appreciate those qualities, Jesus, the Son of God, who was with God in the beginning, took on human form. He came into our world and uh, those attributes were seen in him. So when we look at Jesus, we see God. And it's not just a partial image of him. It is, as it says in verse 19, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Jesus was a perfect image of God. If you looked at Jesus, you saw God. And that is only possible if he was God himself. As it says in Hebrews 1, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Jesus is God, and he's therefore supreme. But what are the different ways in which he is supreme? Well, the three key areas of supremacy that are mentioned in this passage, which we're going to look at this evening. The first of those is that Jesus is supreme over all created things. Jesus is the firstborn. Now this is a key verse for um, Jehovah's Witnesses to persuade you that Jesus is not actually God. He's just um, the first person created by God. There's a couple of problems with such an interpretation. First, the term firstborn is used throughout the Bible to describe someone who had priority or seniority, often someone who had a special place in the Father's love. 
So, for example, in Exodus 4, where we have Moses trying to persuade Pharaoh to free the people of Israel from Egypt, God says to Moses, Say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go, so that he may worship you. Or in Psalm 89, God says of his son, I will also appoint him my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. He's being appointed a firstborn, which means he has the rights, the privileges of the first son. In Jesus' case, he's being given authority to rule over the whole world. But the reason he can't be created by God is not just that he's appointed firstborn, but that he himself is the creator. Well, look at verse 16, what it says there. For in him, or by him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth were visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. It is clear here that Jesus is instrumental in the creation of all things. How he can he do that if he's only a created being? John 1 tells us the word Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So without him we would not be here this evening. And if everything was made for him then nothing in the universe exists for its own sake. Every person, every thing exists for the sake of displaying Christ's greatness, his supremacy. One strong worldview today is that of evolution, by which I don't mean the evolving of individual species, but that non-living chemicals can somehow assemble into a living cell. That humans evolved from, from fish, um, and later from apes. It's a theory which sadly is taught in schools as fact. And it's a strong reason why many people turn away from belief in God. One of those people was uh, Lee Strobel, author of a number of books, including this one called The Case for a Creator. For him, he said, the origin of the species trumped the Bible. When the case was closed, there's no point even debating it. What prompted him to investigate the claims of Jesus, and this is where evolution has no answer, was the positive change he saw in his wife after she became a Christian. Something which made him set aside his preconceptions and using his background as an investigative journalist, um, he went and interviewed experts in all the different fields, the fields of physics, astronomy, um, biochemistry, etc. And as he did so, what he began to realize was that those images he still had in his mind from school Darwin's tree of life, the picture of an ape gradually becoming more upright, were actually no more than theories, and in some cases quite tenuous ones. It's a very readable book for um, for anyone, even someone like me who doesn't have a scientific brain. Um, and without wanting to encourage you all to get into big scientific debates with your friends, it's important, I think, to challenge people who accept Darwinism without actually questioning it. So that actually requires a greater leap of faith than believing in a creator God. If you don't fancy reading the book, then take away one of these short summaries. Um, I think any of you can read that one, called The Evidence of God. I'll leave them on here for afterwards. All things have been created through Jesus and for 
Jesus. But not only has he created the world, he also sustains the world. Verse 17 says, in him all things hold together. And such an assertion is in line with what we read from Hebrews 1, where it says the sun is a radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And that's a very different worldview than the one that says either the world just came into being by chance or by some intelligent designer, but was then left to evolve into what it's like today. It's claiming here that Jesus is supreme over eternity. He was there before the creation of the world. He was supreme over his creation. He's supreme over what happens in the world today. And although the world is groaning because of the fall, we're told that in the Bible, we see that all around us, Jesus is still sustaining it. He will ensure that it doesn't disintegrate before he comes again and renews everything. If Jesus is supreme over all created things, then of course he's also supreme over his people, the church. Another way of saying that is he's he's head of the body. He's the head of the church. The church is the new creation. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, it says here in verse 19. In other words, he was the, the first to rise from the dead And because of his resurrection, his followers, the church, can look forward to rising from death themselves. As Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthians, if there were no resurrection, our faith is futile. Therefore, we might as well do what everybody else is doing. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But because of his resurrection, we can enjoy new life in Jesus. The church depends on Jesus for life, and it submits to him as the only true head of the church. Well, at the end of verse 18, we have the culmination of all that has gone before. All these amazing truths that we've been considering about the Son are so that in everything he might have the supremacy. We, we exist, we were created by him as the, the crowning glory, as the crowning glory of his creation, so that he might have the supremacy, so that he might be glorified. Now, if that's our purpose, what is the problem with that? Well, the problem is that in our human nature, we would rather pursue our own supremacy rather than that of Jesus. And the result in the words of verse 21 is that once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. That is what is wrong with the world. That is what we call sin, a hostility towards God, a reluctance to accept the supremacy of another over me, to accept that there is someone who has the right to tell me how to lead my life because he created me for his glory. And we see that attitude and evidence all around us, don't we? And no one tells me what I should do, how I should live my life, how, who should, I should sleep with, what I should do with uh, my unborn child, what I should do with my money. I will decide that. If God, as the author of life, has given us a blueprint for life, and we're not following that, then we have a problem. We don't need though, to dwell much on the problem. We know, we know the world is in a mess. 
Nobody would disagree with that. Where we may disagree, though, is over the cause of that mess. And the thing is, if you haven't got an explanation for how the world came into being, other than that it was a random explosion, then you can't really have an explanation of why it isn't a mess. Because it came together randomly, so how can you expect it to function perfectly? And if you don't think there's any meaning to life, then all you can do is work at improving the quality of this life, because this is all there is. And you might as well try and enjoy it to its full. But I think most people would say, well, there must be more to life than this. Surely this can't be all there is. Eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Well, the passage tells us that the cause of mankind's problems is that we have become separated from God, from the source of life. And as a result, we've become separated from each other. The population of this country has grown by about 10 million in the last 50 years. We're living physically closer to each other. There's less space in this country. And yet, relationally, we are living further apart. We're becoming more separated, more alienated from one another. But none of us wants to be alienated. We, don't. we want to be loved. We want to belong. We want that sense of community. Well, the good news is there is a solution. So what is it? Well, it comes back again to the supremacy of Jesus because Jesus is also supreme in reconciling to himself all things. If the problem is that we've rejected the supremacy of God and as a result have been alienated from him, then we need to be reconciled to him. And whilst there is no worse experience than alienation or separation, there is no better experience than reconciliation. To be reunited with someone from whom you've been separated. Last year was the 30th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall. Um, I know Alan was there to celebrate it. Um, when the people of East and West Germany were reunited after being separated by a wall for 28 years. Something many of them never expected to experience in their lifetimes. A wonderful moment of rejoicing, of celebrating their reconciliation. The greatest thing that can happen to us is to be reconciled to the one who made us. And the amazing thing is that although we were the cause of that separation from God, he was the one who took the initiative to reconcile us. He was pleased, it says here, to reconcile us. came at a cost. The punishment that God set for rejecting him still had to be carried out. But he chose his son to be punished instead of us. Let me look at verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. What wonderful words those are, aren't they? Reconciliation means living at peace with God. It means that despite all our mistakes, all our flaws, 
all those things that we are ashamed of and would rather forget, we can come into God's presence and be considered holy and innocent in his sight because Jesus died in our place. That's the gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? As Paul says here in verse 23, this is the gospel you've heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. Or more accurately, it's been proclaimed in all creation to people of all nations. It's the message of hope, the hope of forgiveness, the hope of holiness. That means that whatever you go through, you can endure because you have been reconciled to your creator. And you're now at peace with the one who has forgiven you for rejecting him. Well, the final area of supremacy that the passage mentions is that Jesus is supreme in making himself known as the hope of glory. This gospel we've talked about was hidden. It was a mystery in that sense. But it's been revealed by Jesus and his servants. And one of those was Paul. And Paul writes in verse 25, just starting a bit earlier than this, I've become it, that is the church's servant, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This gospel has now been made known not just to the Jews, but to all nations. What is this mystery? Well, the answer is there. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. In those seven words, we have the amazing and humbling truth that Christ, the Son of God, the one in whom all God's fullness dwells, can dwell in us by his Spirit. Jesus is at God's right hand, and through being united to him by faith, we can share in his access to the Father. By being joined to him, we can share in his victory over death, in his victory over evil. We can have an intimate relationship with him. He is our personal saviour, our personal Lord. To be united to Christ is to experience his grace in this life as we live by faith. But that's not the end, because we also experience hope, hope for the future. And what we look forward to, the fulfillment of our salvation, is glory. We will share in the glory of Christ, the supremacy of Christ. That is the hope of glory, and Jesus has made that known to us. So what do we do with all this? Well, I haven't been told how we have been reconciled to God through Jesus. We're given a condition. If you look at verse 23... It says there that if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. To be a Christian means that Jesus is supreme in our lives. But there will be lots of things, people, situations that will try and usurp that position of supremacy in our lives. There'll be things right now vying for your attention. Even coming here this evening will have been a struggle for, for many of you. 
as other things competed for your attention. Things that will focus on a present and temporary happiness and comfort. To continue in our faith is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the hope of glory, to look to eternity. And to look ahead to eternity, we need first to remember what Jesus has already done to secure our place in eternity. To remember the enormity of what it means to be reconciled to God, to be in Christ. Remember those seven words, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Take those away with you this week, memorize them. To continue in your faith is also to proclaim Christ. Verse 28 says, he is the one we proclaim. He's a person we proclaim. We're pointing people to him. How do we do that? Well, we tell people about Jesus. We tell them about the salvation that is found in the gospel. But we also need to show in the way we live our lives that Jesus is supreme. Now, we can present the person of Christ in all his amazing glory. He is an attractive person. But what people really want to know is, well, what difference has he made to you? Can they see Christ in you? If they see how different our lives are as a result of Christ in us, they too may want to know more about him. They may want to know what it means to live with Christ in them. For Jesus to be supreme, we need to give up our desire for supremacy. Our desire to to get our own way, our desire for independence, our desire to to exercise our rights, to do things our way, our desire for appreciation, all those things that we want the supremacy in. And instead we are called, as Paul was, to serve others, to serve the body of Christ, to serve the church. And to serve the church means, in verse 28, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And we'll focus a bit more on that next week, but what serving means is to be willing to undergo suffering for those you are serving. And also to see suffering in a different light, to be able, as Paul was, it says here, to rejoice in suffering. That's what he says in verse 24, isn't it? Paul underwent incredible suffering. Have a read about it in the... 2 Corinthians 11, floggings, stonings, imprisonment, shipwrecks. Why would he rejoice in all of that? Well, as he writes in Philippians, he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. If we are suffering for Christ, then we're not suffering on our own. Christ is suffering with us. And in our suffering, we become more united to him. It actually helps us to become more like him. In our attitude to suffering, in the attitude to Christian service, in the fruitfulness of our service, we also show is the power of Christ at work in us. Verse 29 says, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully 
works in me. Demonstrate his supremacy in your life. Serve his church, rejoice in your sufferings. Demonstrate his power at work in you. Because to be united to Christ means to have incredible power available. Power to serve, power to undergo suffering, power to resist temptation. And that power is there because Christ is in you. The hope of glory. Let's have a moment of quiet just to reflect on what that means for you, of Christ being in you, his power being at work in you. To consider whether he is supreme in your life or whether something else has taken that supremacy in your life. A moment to reflect on that and then the band will lead us in some worship.